The Vie by Nikolai Gogol, Part 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 2 When the sun had sunk below the horizon, the corpse was carried into the church. The philosopher supported one corner of the black-draped coffin upon his shoulder and felt an ice-cold shiver run through his body. The colonel walked in front of him, with his right hand resting on the edge of the coffin. The wooden church, black with age and overgrown with green lichen, stood quite at the end of the village in gloomy solitude. It was adorned with three round cupolas, one saw at first glance that it had not been used for divine worship for a long time. Lighted candles were standing before almost every icon. The coffin was set down before the altar. The old colonel kissed his dead daughter once more, and then left the church, together with the bearers of the beer, after he had ordered his servants to look after the philosopher and to take him back to the church after supper. The coffin bearers, when they returned to the house, all laid their hands on the stove. This custom is always observed in Little Russia by those who have seen a corpse. The hunger which the philosopher now began to feel caused him for a while to forget the dead girl altogether. Gradually, all the domestics of the house assembled in the kitchen. It was really a kind of club where they were accustomed to gather. Even the dogs came to the door, wagging their tails in order to have bones and offal thrown to them. If a servant was sent on an errand, he always found his way into the kitchen to rest there for a while and to smoke a pipe. All the Cossacks of the establishment lay here during the whole day on and under the benches, in fact, wherever a place could be found to lie down in. Moreover, everyone was always leaving something behind in the kitchen, his cap or his whip or something of the sort but the numbers of the club were not complete till the evening when the groom came in after tying up his horses in the stable the cowherd had shut up his cows in their stalls and others collected there who were not usually seen in the daytime during the supper-time even the tongues of the laziest were set in motion they talked of all and everything, of the new pairs of breeches which someone had ordered for himself, of what might be in the centre of the earth, and of the wolf which someone had seen. There were a number of wits in the company, a class which is always represented in Little Russia. The philosopher took his place with the rest in the great circle which sat round the kitchen door in the open air soon an old woman with a red cap issued from it bearing with both hands a large vessel full of hot golochkis which she distributed among them each drew out of his pocket a wooden spoon or a one-pronged wooden fork as soon as their jaws began to move a little more slowly and their wolfish hunger was somewhat appeased they began to talk the conversation as might be expected turned on the dead girl 
Is it true, said a young shepherd, is it true, though I cannot understand it, that our young mistress had traffic with evil spirits? Who, the young lady, answered Doroche, whose acquaintance the philosopher had already made in the kibitka. Yes, she was a regular witch. I can swear that she was a witch. Hold your tongue, Doroche, exclaimed another, the one who, during the journey, had played the part of a consoler. We have nothing to do with that. May God be merciful to her. One ought not to talk of such things. But Doroche was not at all inclined to be silent. He had just visited the wine cellar with a steward on important business, and, having stooped two or three times over one or two casks, he had returned in a very cheerful and loquacious mood. Why do you ask me to be silent? he answered. She has ridden on my shoulders, I swear she has say uncle asked the young shepherd are there signs by which to recognize a sorceress no there are not answered doroche even if you knew the psalter by heart you could not recognize one yes doroche it is possible don't talk such nonsense retorted the former consoler it is not for nothing that god has given each some special peculiarity the learned maintain that every witch has a little tail every woman is a witch said a grey-headed cossack quite seriously yes you are a fine lot retorted the old woman who entered at that moment with a vessel full of fresh galuchkis you are great fat pigs a self-satisfied smile played round the lips of the old cossack whose name was yavtuch when he found that his remark had touched the old woman on a tender point the shepherd burst into such a deep and loud explosion of laughter as if two oxen were lowing together this conversation excited in the philosopher a great curiosity and a wish to obtain more exact information regarding the colonel's daughter in order to lead the talk back to the subject he turned to his next neighbour and said i should like to know why all the people here think that the young lady was a witch has she done harm to any one or killed them by witchcraft yes there are reports of that kind answered a man whose face was as flat as a shovel who does not remember the huntsman makita or the what has the huntsman makita got to do with it asked the philosopher stop i will tell you the story of makita interrupted doroche no i will tell it said the groom for he was my godfather i will tell the story of makita said spirid yes yes spirid shall tell it exclaimed the whole company and spirid began you mr philosopher thomas did not know makita ah he was an extraordinary man he knew every dog as though he were his own father the present huntsman mikola who sits three places away from me is not fit to hold a candle to him though good enough in his way but compared to mikita he is a mere milksop you tell the tale splendidly exclaimed doroche and nodded as a sign of approval spirit continued he saw a hare in the field quicker than you can take a pinch of snuff he only needed a whistle come here ross boy come here bostraya and flew away on his horse like the wind so that you could not say whether he went quicker than the dog or the dog than he 
He could empty a quart pot of brandy in the twinkling of an eye. Ah, he was a splendid huntsman. Only for some time he always had his eyes fixed on the young lady. Either he had fallen in love with her, or she had bewitched him. In short, he went to the dogs. He became a regular old woman, yes, he became the devil knows what. Very good, remarked Doros. If the young lady only looked at him, he let the rain slip out of his hands, called Bravko instead of Rossboy, stumbled, and made all kinds of mistakes. One day, when he was curry-combing a horse, the young lady came to him in the stable. Listen, Mikita, she said, I should like for once to set my foot on you. And he, the booby, was quite delighted and answered, Don't only set your foot there, but sit on me altogether. The young lady lifted her white little foot, and as soon as he saw it, his delight robbed him of his senses. He bowed his neck, the idiot, took her feet in both hands, and began to trot about like a horse all over the place. Whither they went he could not say. He returned more dead than alive, and from that time he wasted away and became as dry as a chip of wood. At last, someone coming into the stable one day found instead of him only a handful of ashes and an empty jug. He had burned completely out, but it must be said he was a huntsman such as the world cannot match. When Spirit had ended his tale, they all began to vie with one another in praising the deceased huntsman. And have you heard the story of Chipchicha? asked Dorosh, turning to Thomas. No. Aha! One sees they don't teach you much in your seminary. Well, listen. We have here in our village a Cossack called Chiptoon. A fine fellow. Sometimes, indeed, he amuses himself by stealing and lying without any reason. But he is a fine fellow for all that. His house is not far away from here. One evening, just about this time, Cheptoon and his wife went to bed after they had finished their day's work. Since it was fine weather, Chepchicha went to sleep in the courtyard and Cheptoon in the house. No, I mean Chepchicha went to sleep in the house on a bench and Cheptoon outside. No, Chepchicha didn't go to sleep on a bench but on the ground, interrupted the old woman who stood at the door. Dorosh looked at her, then at the ground, then again at her and said after a pause, If I tore your dress off your back before all these people, it wouldn't look pretty. The rebuke was effectual. The old woman was silent and did not interrupt again. Dorosh continued. In the cradle which hung in the middle of the room lay a one-year-old child. I do not know whether it was a boy or a girl. Chepchicha had lain down and heard on the other side of the door a dog scratching and howling loud enough to frighten anyone. She was afraid, for women are such simple folk that if one puts out one's tongue at them behind the door in the dark, their hearts sink to their boots. But, she thought to herself, I must give this cursed dog one on the snout to stop his howling. 
so she seized the poker and opened the door but hardly had she done so than the dog rushed between her legs straight to the cradle then chepchicha saw that it was not a dog but the young lady and if it had only been the young lady as she knew her it wouldn't have mattered but she looked quite blue and her eyes sparkled like fiery coals she seized the child bit its throat and began to suck its blood chepchicha shrieked ah my darling child and rushed out of the room then she saw that the house door was shut and rushed up to the attic and sat there the stupid woman trembling all over then the young lady came after her and bit her too poor fool the next morning Cheptoon carried his wife, all bitten and wounded, down from the attic, and the next day she died. Such strange things happen in the world. One may wear fine clothes, but that does not matter. A witch is and remains a witch. After telling his story, Dorosh looked around him with a complacent air and cleaned out his pipe with his little finger in order to fill it again the story of the witch had made a deep impression on all and each of them had something to say about her one had seen her come to the door of his house in the form of a hayrick from others she had stolen their caps or their pipes she had cut off the hair plates of many girls in the village and drunk whole pints of the blood of others at last the whole company observed that they had gossiped over their time for it was already night all looked for a sleeping place some in the kitchen and others in the barn or the courtyard now mr thomas it is time we go to the dead said the grey-headed cossack turning to the philosopher all four spirid dorosh the old cossack and the philosopher betook themselves to the church keeping off with their whips the wild dogs who roamed about the roads in great numbers and bit the sticks of passers-by in sheer malice although the philosopher had seized the opportunity of fortifying himself beforehand with a stiff glass of brandy yet he felt a certain secret fear which increased as he approached the church which was lit up within the strange tales he had heard had made a deep impression on his imagination they had passed the thick hedges and trees and the country became more open at last they reached the small enclosure round the church behind it there were no more trees but a huge empty plain dimly visible in the darkness the three cossacks ascended the steep steps with thomas and entered the church here they left the philosopher expressing their hope that he would successfully accomplish his duties and locked him in as their master had ordered he was left alone at first he yawned then he stretched himself blew on both hands and finally looked round him in the middle of the church stood the black bier before the dark pictures of saints burned the candles whose light only illuminated the icons and cast a faint glimmer into the body of the church all the corners were in complete darkness the lofty icons seemed to be of considerable age only a little of the original gilt remained on their broken traceries the faces of the saints 
had become quite black and looked uncanny. Once more the philosopher cast a glance around him. Bother it, said he to himself. What is there to be afraid about? No living creature can get in, and as for the dead and those who come from the other side, I can protect myself with such effectual prayers that they cannot touch me with the tips of their fingers. There is nothing to fear, he repeated, swinging his arms. Let us begin the prayers. As he approached one of the side aisles, he noticed two packets of candles which had been placed there. That is fine, he thought. I must illuminate the whole church till it is as bright as day. What a pity that one cannot smoke in it. He began to light the candles on all the wall brackets and all the candelabra, as well as those already burning before the holy pictures. Soon the whole church was brilliantly lit up. Only the darkness in the roof above seemed still denser by contrast, and the faces of the saints peering out of the frames looked as unearthly as before. He approached the bier, looked nervously at the face of the dead girl, could not help shuddering slightly, and involuntarily closed his eyes. What terrible and extraordinary beauty. He turned away and tried to go to one side, but the strange curiosity and peculiar fascination which men feel in moments of fear compelled him to look again and again, though with a similar shudder, and in truth there was something terrible about the beauty of the dead girl. Perhaps she would not have inspired so much fear had she been less beautiful, but there was nothing ghastly or death-like in the face, which wore rather an expression of life, and it seemed to the philosopher as though she were watching him from under her closed eyelids. He even thought he saw a tear roll from under the eyelash of her right eye, but when it was halfway down her cheek, he saw that it was a drop of blood. He quickly went into one of the stalls, opened his book, and began to read the prayers in a very loud voice in order to keep up his courage. His deep voice sounded strange to himself in the grave-like silence. It aroused no echo in the silent and desolate wooden walls of the church. What is there to be afraid of, he thought to himself. She will not rise from her beer, since she fears God's word. She will remain quietly resting. Yes, and what sort of a Cossack should I be if I were afraid? The fact is, I have drunk a little too much. That is why I feel so queer. Let me take a pinch of snuff. It is really excellent, first-rate. At the same time, he cast a furtive glance over the pages of the prayer book towards the beer, and involuntarily he said to himself, There, see, she is getting up. Her head is already above the edge of the coffin. But a death-like silence prevailed. The coffin was motionless, and all the candles shone steadily. It was an awe-inspiring sight, this church lit up at midnight, with a corpse in the midst, and no living soul near but one. 
The philosopher began to sing in various keys in order to stifle his fears, but every moment he glanced across at the coffin, and involuntarily the question came to his lips, Suppose she rose up after all? But the coffin did not move. Nowhere was there the slightest sound nor stir. Not even did a cricket chirp in any corner. There was nothing audible but the slight sputtering of some distant candle or the faint fall of a drop of wax. Suppose she rose up after all. He raised his head. Then he looked round him wildly and rubbed his eyes. Yes, she was no longer lying in the coffin, but sitting upright. He turned away his eyes, but at once looked again, terrified at the coffin. She stood up. Then she walked with closed eyes through the church, stretching out her arms as though she wanted to seize someone. She now came straight towards him. Full of alarm, he traced with his finger a circle round himself. Then, in a loud voice, he began to recite the prayers and formulas of exorcism, which he had learnt from a monk who had often seen witches and evil spirits. She had almost reached the edge of the circle which he had traced, but it was evident that she had not the power to enter it. Her face wore a bluish tint like that of one who has been several days dead. Thomas had not the courage to look at her, so terrible was her appearance. Her teeth chattered, and she opened her dead eyes, but as in her rage she saw nothing, she turned in another direction and felt with outstretched arms among the pillars and corners of the church in the hope of seizing him. At last she stood still, made a threatening gesture, and then lay down again in the coffin. The philosopher could not recover his self-possession, and kept on gazing anxiously at it. Suddenly it rose from its place, and began hurtling about the church with a whizzing sound. At one time it was almost directly over his head, but the philosopher observed that it could not pass over the area of his charmed circle, so he kept on repeating his formulas of exorcism. The coffin now fell with a crash in the middle of the church, and remained lying there motionless. The corpse rose again. It had now a greenish-blue color, but at the same moment the distant crowing of a cock was audible, and it lay down again. The philosopher's heart beat violently, and the perspiration poured in streams from his face. But heartened by the crowing of the cock, he rapidly repeated the prayers. As the first light of dawn looked through the windows, there came a deacon and the grey-haired Yavtuch who acted as sacristan in order to release him. When he had reached the house, he could not sleep for a long time, but at last weariness overpowered him, and he slept till noon. 
when he awoke his experiences of the night appeared to him like a dream he was given a quart of brandy to strengthen him at table he was again talkative and ate a fairly large sucking pig almost without assistance but none the less he resolved to say nothing of what he had seen and to all curious questions only returned the answer yes some wonderful things happened the philosopher was one of those men who when they have had a good meal are uncommonly amiable he lay down on a bench with his pipe in his mouth looked blandly at all and expectorated every minute but as the evening approached he became more and more pensive about supper-time nearly the whole company had assembled in order to play crapley this is a kind of game of skittles in which instead of bowls long staves are used and the winner has the right to ride on the back of his opponent it provided the spectators with much amusement sometimes the groom a huge man would clamour on the back of the swineherd who was slim and short and shrunken another time the groom would present his own back while doroche sprang on it shouting what a regular ox those of the company who were more staid sat by the threshold of the kitchen they looked uncommonly serious smoked their pipes and did not even smile when the younger ones went into fits of laughter over some joke of the groom or spirit thomas vainly attempted to take part in the game a gloomy thought was firmly fixed like a nail in his head in spite of his desperate efforts to appear cheerful after supper fear had overmastered his whole being and it increased with the growing darkness now it is time for us to go mr student said the grey-haired cossack and stood up with doroche let us betake ourselves to our work thomas was conducted to the church in the same way as on the previous evening again he was left alone and the door was bolted behind him End of the V by Nikolai Gogol, Part 3